0: Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. You know, I believe that now more than ever, it is vital for us to be people who are not molded by the world, but rather who are shaped by the hand of God. You know, molded items are mass-produced, they are uniform, they come off the assembly line, they're like replicas, they have the look, but they don't have the touch. Some of you have been to countries where you've bought items, you've bought sneakers, and you thought they were the real thing, and then you got home and they said Adidas, and you realized that although they have the look, they don't have the touch. And we live in a world where people are often more concerned with being fashionable than they are in being fashioned. It's a word that means to be shaped. Just look at how much time and energy people give to things like the outfits at the Met Gala. Why? Because very often we are outwardly focused. We live in a world that's obsessed with the outward. Romans 12 and verse 2 says do not conform to the pattern of this world. It's not talking about the planet. The word there is ion, which means this age or this era, the thinking of the current culture. Don't conform to that pattern, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another translation says be changed inwardly. So we're not meant to dress up our lives externally, whether that's personally or or spiritually, come to church, hallelujah, praise God, look at the size of my Bible. No, we are meant to be changed and transformed internally. And as God does this transformative work in us, His intention is always to work through us. My mom always jokes with me and she says, every time I hear you speak, you always say the same thing. You always say God wants to work in us and He wants to work through us. But the reality is, is that I've seen him work in my life that way. I've seen him come along and and redeem me and restore me and and heal levels of brokenness that I've had, and he hasn't done that so that I can just live my best life. In fact, I follow a guy on Instagram who makes uh, low-calorie, high-protein meals, and and like every Insta-chef, you know, he's got to have a catchphrase. Some of them say, hmm, delicious, or they put a thumbs up or something. This guy, every time he finishes making a meal, he says, and now it's time to enjoy, my friends. But you see, God doesn't do a transformative work in us so that we can just enjoy, my friends. He does it. He does what He does in us and for us so that He can ultimately work through us. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 speaks about God's work. And it says, for we, that's you and I, are God's handiwork. Another translation says that we are His masterpiece. But I love the way that the New Jerusalem Bible puts it. It says, we are God's work of art. Now, you might be here this morning and you're saying, man, I don't feel like a work of art. My life isn't where it should be. But if you've put your life into God's hands, that's exactly what He's creating, In fact, the word handiwork there is the ancient Greek word poema. It carries the idea that you and I are a beautiful poem that's being written by God. And so the Word is telling us here that God is actually the master artist. You know, the first thing that we discover about God as we read the Word is that He is creative. Not that He is love, not that He is kind, not that He is holy, but the Bible actually starts with creativity, and we can see His artistry as we read the the story of creation in Genesis. Genesis 1 and verse 1 says, in the beginning God created. The Bible also wraps up with creativity. In Revelation 21 verse 5, Jesus says, I am making everything new. So... God is not only the master artist, but He is still an artist at work, and and He's always working, even when we don't see it, as the song says, and even when we don't feel it. And He has created you and I with distinction. And we're going to get to the title in a little while, don't worry. Genesis 1 and verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness goes on to say in Genesis 2 verse 7, Then the Lord God formed, it's a word that means fashioned or shaped like a, a potter with clay, a man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. You know what's interesting is that God spoke the rest of creation into being, But when it came to you and I, he formed us, he fashioned us. That means that you and I have a special touch on us that the rest of creation doesn't have. How many of you know, my dog does not have the ability to create? I mean, apart from creating a mess, of course. But he's not lying by the pool right now. I know that's exactly where he is, a little patch of sun that he likes to find. He's not lying there thinking about, oh, you know, next week I'm going to, I'm going to chase a hardy dar, and then I'm going to tear up the garden a little bit more, and then the week after that I think I'm going to... No, he, 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 he can't imagine or create the future. Why? Because he wasn't created in the image and likeness of God. In his book, Called to Create, Jordan Rayner says what God created in six days is astonishing. But what's equally remarkable is what he did not create. He created animals, but didn't give them names. He created land, but didn't create irrigation systems. He created stars, but he didn't create an iPhone app that would allow us to hold a pocket-sized computer up to the sky to see them all by name. After working for six days, God left the earth largely undeveloped and uncultivated. He created a canvas and then invited us to join him in filling it. So not only does God invite you and I, the human race, to do that with the world around us, he's called us to to create and build and, and invent and develop, but he actually invites us to do that with our very lives. You see, the master artist has created us to create, he shows us how to live as we allow him to shape our lives, and even though he gives us life itself, how many of you know he doesn't create a life for us? No, he gives that responsibility to you and I. We're not just meant to drift along and consume or, or live for pleasure. We're meant to think, imagine, and create a life for ourselves, not just an existence. Why? Because we're not just works of art in the hands of the master artist. We too are artists at work. And so I want to speak to you this morning about being an artist at work. Artists have a unique way of seeing the world. They see beauty where others don't. And artists have the ability to translate what they see into something tangible, something that can be seen, felt, and heard. Imagine if we started to see everything that we do as a work of art instead of just a function or a thing that we do. Imagine if we viewed our marriages and our families, our careers, our, our relationship and our walk with God as a work of art with every movement and every interaction and decision like a brushstroke on the canvas of life. How different would our lives be? Now you might be thinking, oh no, this is one of those messages for the creative team. But listen, we might not all be singers and painters and writers and designers, but the reality is that we are all creative because we were created in the image of a creative God. You and I were created to create and imagine to imagine. And whether or not you identify as an artist today is not really the point. The point is that if you approach life like an artist, and if you approach your life as a work of art, it'll help you to find beauty in the mundane, it'll help you to find joy in the routine, and it'll help you to find wonder in the unknown. You know, I heard about a mountain climber who climbed up a path that nobody else had, had attempted to climb that year, and as he got near the top, he noticed an amazingly beautiful flower just sitting there on its own. And in that moment, he realized that God created this stunningly beautiful flower, knowing that there's a chance that nobody else will ever see it. Think about this. Before the Hubble Space Telescope left the Earth's atmosphere and took some rather breathtaking images of the universe, God's incredible artwork was already there for thousands and thousands of years. So why does God do it? Why does he create flowers that we'll never see or, 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 or parts of space that you and I will never explore in our lifetime? Well, he does it because he's an artist who makes beautiful things, and what he creates reflects his nature and his glory. And if you and I can start to understand that what we create is not just a means to an end, if we can realize that, that what we create in our lives, even if nobody else sees it, is actually a work of art unto the Lord, it'll change how we approach everything. You know, I was amazed to discover that many common inventions were actually dreamt up by kids, including earmuffs, the trampoline, and that's probably a bit of an obvious one, but also something called Braille, the tactile code that enables blind and visually impaired people to read and write. Louis Braille, caught a severe eye infection when he was just three years old, which rendered him blind. And for years, he struggled with the system that was already in place. It was basically, the letters were raised, and you had to trace your finger along each letter. And he he had great difficulty with it. Well, when he was 12 years old, he heard about a, a method of silent communication that was being used by the French military. And so he took it, and he adapted it, he simplified the process, and suddenly he was able to learn a lot easier. Well, he first presented his work in 1824 at the young age of 15, and today Braille is used by the blind community worldwide. You say, well, cool story, bro, what's the point? Let me tell you, you see, kids often don't see limitation first. Louis Braille couldn't see anything in the natural, but in his heart and in his mind, he, he, he could imagine something, a better system, a, a way of learning that didn't yet exist, and kids don't come to life and go, oh, well, we can't. We don't have the resources, and how are we going to do this? And how are we? They don't approach life with the facts. They approach it with imagination. They say, you know what, this is what I'm going to create, and then I'm going to figure out how I'm going to get there. Yeah. You see, kids, they approach life like artists, but somehow when you get grown up, you, you forget that, and you think, well, I'm a grown up now. I need to do grown up things. Spanish painter and sculptor Pablo Picasso famously said, all children are born artists. The problem is to remain an artist as we grow up. You see, for us as followers of Christ and, 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 and people who've been made in the image of God, creativity isn't just something we do. It's who we are. It's part of what's called the Christian modus vivendi. That's the Christian way of life. It's who we are. And we're meant to create something for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. You know, it's not surprising that Jesus was born into a carpenter's family. In fact, it's the only thing that we really know about Jesus between the ages of 12 and 30. But think about this. Why wasn't he born into a priestly family like John the Baptist? Or or raised in a Pharisee's home like the Apostle Paul? Surely that would have set him up for a life of ministry. Could it have been a strategic move? Well, I think the term carpenter is is somewhat misleading. Often we, we picture Jesus putting tables and chairs together and making cutlery holders. But the word carpenter is actually the ancient Greek word tekton, which means artisan, craftsman, or builder. And so Jesus grew up doing that in the natural. He still does that in the spiritual. He's an artisan. He's a craftsman. He's building lives. And that's what He's called us to do with the life that we've been given. We're we're meant to craft something. I think one of the reasons we often don't realize that we are artists at work is because of how we see work. Genesis 1 and verse 28 says, God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis 2.15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to enjoy, my friends. No, to work it and take care of it. So producing something with your life is not a punishment, it's a calling. You and I are called to build and create and make a difference wherever we go. In fact, if our church isn't shaping culture and changing the landscape of this community and creating that which previously didn't exist for the benefit of people and for the glory of God, then we're not doing what God's called us to do. You see, we are artists at work. It's up to us as to what we will create with the canvas that we've been given. Listen, your life is a canvas. Your marriage is a canvas. Your family is a canvas. Your career, your, your, your business, your, your church, this church is a canvas. What are we going to put on that canvas? It's up to us. Author Anna Taylor says nobody else gets to live your life. You are the artist. Paint your picture Dream your own masterpiece into being. Let's look at some characteristics or qualities of an artist today that I believe will help us to understand that we're not just works of art, but we're actually artists at work. And I believe that they will help us to approach everything in life like a work of art. Are you ready? Number one, artists see and create the future. Artists have vision. They see something that others often don't. Proverbs 29 and verse 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Why? Because without vision, we often drift along doing and creating nothing. You know, as a church, we don't just come into January and say, Wow, I wonder what God's going to do this year. Hey, well, I hope it's a good one. God willing. No, we we prayerfully seek the Lord and then we set the vision for the year. We set a direction. This year is a year of new beginnings. We believe that we can have a new beginning post-COVID. We believe that we can have a new beginning despite our past, despite our failures and our shortcomings. You see, vision always points to possibilities. Vision sees what, what God can do in us and through us. As my dad would say, what you see is what you can be. And the artist sees the future and then sets about creating it, whether it's a meal or a painting or a sculpture. You know, Michelangelo, the great artist, spent three years chipping away at a discarded piece of stone. And people said to him, hey, why are you bothering with that old chunk of rock that nobody wants? He says, there's an angel in here. I can see that there's an angel in the rock that wants to come out. So whether it's a, a painting or some kind of artwork, or, or maybe it's a system at work, or business, or a product, or, or what about a family? When you have a vision for it, you can set about creating it. You know, when I look at old photos, I, I see a time before Claire and I got married, and, and uh, you know, then, then there were the years of our of the early part of our marriage, and then when we had our, our first son, Aiden, and it was just the three of us, and uh, You know, and then we waited seven long years, and we had a miracle baby called Chloe, and and I realized that the family that we only saw in our hearts and minds when we got serious about our relationship is now a reality. We, We set about creating it, and we had fun doing it. I'll just leave that hanging in the air for a while. But it's now a reality and then some because little Fefe came along and she added another brushstroke to the canvas of our lives. You see, when you've got vision for your life, things change. You were once single and then you got married and, and, then, and then you had kids and no longer can you just go out and, and go away for the weekend at a drop of a hat. No, you've got to, you've got to consider your kids and, and if you get a dog, then you've got to find a kennel. It's definitely coming from a place. No, but when there's vision, things change. It's impossible to stagnate when you've got vision for your life. You see, when, you, when there's vision, you no longer drift, you start to dream. You no longer just crave, you create. I think many people crave a better life. They crave a better marriage, better health, or a better relationship with God, but they're not setting about creating it. In his book, Steal Like an Artist, it's a great title, Austin Kleon says, draw the art you want to see. Start the business you want to run. Play the music you want to hear. Write the books you want to read. Build the products you want to use. Do the work you want to see done. It's up to us. I think you'll also notice that artists have the ability to focus on their work almost to the extreme where, where it's like the rest of the world doesn't exist, that's why artists can often seem aloof and distracted. You, you talk to them, they seem uninterested. But, it, but it's often because they're already living in the future. It's, it's, you know, when you've got a strong vision for your life or, or for something that you want to create, it's, it's, it's like for the artists, they're already living there, now their brushstrokes are just catching up. See, artists can see and they can create the future. Secondly, artists pour themselves into their work. The art that gets produced reflects the approach, intention, and philosophy of the artist. Is it colorful or monotone? Is it light or dark? Is it easy to interpret or is it mysterious? Is it risky? Is it safe? Is it pioneering or is it familiar? Is it people-pleasing or paradigm-shifting? You know, God is in His creation, but often we only look at what is created, I mean, we go, well, why did He create the mosquito? (laughs) But we don't always see God's thinking and His intention in what He creates, but it's most certainly there. Psalm 19 and verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Listen, what you and I create reflects and reveals who we are you know when a child creates an artwork perhaps it's a you know a few hand prints on a piece of paper or a finger painting or maybe it's you know a few pieces of uncooked pasta stuck in a shape on a piece of cardboard you know I actually have some art here that my son made this many years ago it's like some guys skateboarding and, he, you know, he's, he's used watercolors and he's used glue. He's cut things out. There's a, there's a house here that's just apparently meant for toys only. It says toys on it. But my, here's one that my daughter drew in 2017. You, you know, when your child creates something like this, how many of you know it's more than just the materials used? It's more than just paper and, and watercolors and glue and, and, and uncooked pasta. Amen. Your child's heart and soul, their developing personality is in that artwork. That's often why we find it hard to throw things away. I mean, this is like, you know, 15 years old. Why? Because the person is in there. When a great chef creates a meal, it's more than just salt and pepper and oil and and the ingredients. No, No, the person is in there, heart and soul. You know, some people, they approach their work, or rather, they don't approach their work like an artist because they're only focused on the function. Or I'm just a factory worker. You know, I'm just in corporate. You know, I just work in retail. I just teach. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. But listen, when you pour yourself into it and you see it as a work of art that's being created for the benefit of others and for the glory of God, it becomes more than a job or a function. Colossians 3 and verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. In fact, this is the verse of the day on you version for those of you who opened it this morning. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You know, during the 1500s, a traveler was passing through a city. And he happened upon a huge quarry where the, he, you know, he saw workers cutting massive blocks of stone. So he went up to one of the workers and he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm cutting blocks of stone. He went to a second man and he said, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm cutting blocks of stone, but, but they've got to be accurate because they've got to line up with all these other blocks of stone. Well, he was unsatisfied with the answer, so he went to a third man and he said, hey, what are you doing? The third man said, I'm building a cathedral. You see, you can either see the day-to-day routine and the, the getting up and the going to sleep and the coming and going as a series of mundane steps in your marriage or at work or in your journey with Jesus, or you can realize that every stone you cut is part of a beautiful cathedral being built. It's called your life. You see, artists see form, not just function and i think often we can be overly functional is this marriage working well i don't hate you yet so yeah tick you know is my relationship with god working well you know i'm 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 not going to i'm i'm going to heaven and not hell and i'm not who i used to be so i think so but how many of you know functionality alone can be quite uninspiring I think of someone like Steve Jobs, who was able to, to kind of marry form and function. He created a phone that, that works, that makes phone calls and receives and sends text messages, but it's more than that. It's, it's got form, it's got an operating system that just flows and works in, in a way that, that makes perfect sense. I'm sure Android and the other one are, are amazing too, but I wouldn't know. <laughs> but how many of you know function alone is actually quite boring? Listen, your marriage should be, it should have form, it should have beauty, it, it, it shouldn't just be functional, it shouldn't just be bills and kids and groceries and sex. Your business, your family, your spiritual life, it shouldn't just be functional. Listen, you're the artist who, who gets to decide what form it's going to take. And I encourage you this morning? Turn it into something beautiful. It doesn't have to be boring. Oh, I'm plodding along with God. No, make it beautiful. Carita Kent was a nun who was also a great artist, and uh, she said, not all of us are painters, but we are all artists. Each time we fit things together, we are creating, whether it is to make a loaf of bread, a child, I'll just pause there for effect, (laughs) or a day. You know, the word art comes from the root word art. R, A-R, which means to fit together. That's why she says every time you fit things together, you are creating. But it's also akin to the Latin armor, which means weapons or arms. And as I read the etymology of this word, I had had a thought. You know, that, that our lives fit together in Christ, being crafted into a work of art, is actually an effective weapon against the enemy. Because in Christ we find purpose, we find meaning, and we find direction. And through that purpose, meaning, and direction, we don't just drift along aimlessly. No, we live for the cause of Christ and we actually change the world around us because we understand that we are not just works of art, we are in fact artists at work. Number three, I hope you're being helped this morning. Artists have passion and perseverance. I've never met an artist who wasn't passionate about what they do. I've been seeing this advert on YouTube lately. It's a masterclass by the world champion barista. I think, well, what, what could he honestly tell us? Well, Well, you see, an artist can take a cup of coffee and turn it into a masterpiece where every detail matters. You know, what was the roast date of the beans? And, and what grinder settings did you use? And, and how long was the extraction? And how hot is the water? And they talk about a dose, a yield, and a contact. Are they crazy? No, they're passionate. And so when you're passionate, the details matter. You know, some strokes in your life are broad, you, you're going you're gonna to use a, a big brush, and, and, and they're foundational strokes, and you, you're going you're gonna to have to answer some questions. Well, well, will I serve God or won't I? And, and what kind of person do I want to be? And, and what career will I have? And what city will I live in? And, and who will I marry? And, and do I want kids? And, 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 and What is the vision for my life? You're going to have some, some big brush strokes. But other things that, that, that require, I don't even know if you can see this, they require fine detail. You know, small little details can make a big difference to the artwork of your life. But you will never spend the time and energy needed on that intricacy if there is no passion. Passion causes us to focus on the finer detail. And so I've never met an artist who wasn't passionate about what they do, but I've also never met an artist who hasn't struggled with what they do. They love what they do, but at times they hate what they do because nothing of value is easy. You know, in order to keep going, in order to create the future that you've imagined, whether it's your marriage or work or studies or a project or your spiritual life, you don't just need passion, you also need perseverance. You've got to know how to keep going when the going gets tough. I love this definition of passion. It says, having a cause that is greater than the pain you're dealing with. I wonder if your passion for God and for His house or for your family, your marriage or, or you know, just for your life in, 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 in general is greater than the pain that you're dealing with right now. The pain of production. You see, the artist's cause is always greater than the pain of producing the art because not only can they see what it will be, they are passionate about producing it. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 speaks about the ability of Jesus to do this. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, for what he could see his work would achieve, he endured or persevered the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And often things take time to develop. A strong marriage takes time to build or or a company, a a healthy church takes time to build and, and often what happens is in that waiting we can lose a bit of our passion. But you see, Jesus, the master artist, he knew what his work would accomplish and it helped him to keep going. Romans 12 and verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, that's passion, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction faithful in prayer. Listen, you can't rush a masterpiece. You cannot rush the process of art. You need passion, but you also need perseverance. Number four. You still okay? Artists are lifelong learners. Artists are dedicated to their craft, which means that they have to keep growing in their field. They have to keep getting better and better at what they do. They never stop learning. They never lose their sense of awe and wonder and uh, curiosity and innovation and and exploration and boundary pushing because once they do, they're done. You know, the same can be said of our personal and spiritual lives. When we lose our sense of awe and wonder, we come into church and we're like, oh yeah, yeah this again. Do you know what starts to happen? Is that we, we, we stagnate. And let me tell you something, when you stop, when you've lost all your momentum, you don't just stay where you are, you actually go backwards. Everything left to itself doesn't stay the same, it deteriorates. And so you can come to church and say, oh, Romans 12, yeah, doesn't he use this one often? Oh, I've heard this before. But the minute we have that attitude, we, we actually stop growing and we stop moving forward. We stop learning. In Philippians 1 and verse 6, Paul says, I'm certain that God who began a good work within you will continue His work until it is finally finished. Oh, we love that, hey. He who began a good work in you is faithful to finish. But notice what it says about when He will finish. On the day when Christ Jesus returns. In other words, this is a lifelong deal. This is a lifelong project. And for the artist, the goal is to master their art form, which is going to take a lifetime. I think people sometimes view artists as as being kind of chaotic and disorganized and undisciplined. But let me tell you, it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of years of of hard work to become a master artist. In fact, to become a master of anything. A story is told of Picasso sitting at a Paris cafe when an admirer approached him and asked if he could do a quick sketch on a napkin. Well, Picasso politely agreed and, and swiftly executed the work, and handed the napkin back, but not before asking for a rather significant amount of money. And the admirer was shocked. said, how can you ask so much? I mean, that only took you a minute to create. Picasso said, no, 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 it took me 40 years. It's a lifetime of learning. Listen, I've been married for 21 years, and I'm still learning. I want to be a master artist. I need to read books. I need to resource myself because I haven't learned it all yet. It's going to take my whole life to figure out my wife and how she ticks and how she thinks. She's a mystery. But I tell you what I have learned. I've discovered that taking out the rubbish, making the morning coffee, and putting my dirty socks in the wash basket are all forms of loving my wife. They are all part of the creative act. When I go to do it, I'm like, yes, I'm creating a work of art. And it really works. Listen, imagine if we saw the beauty in those seemingly mundane moments and, and, and those seemingly li- like, like silly tasks. What a difference it would make to the artwork that's being produced. How would that transform your prayer life or your Bible reading or, or your school runs with the kids or, or your dinners at home? Or, or what about your volunteering? Oh, well, I just push buttons, you know. I just, I just push the down arrow in the next you know, scripture comes up, but you know, it's, it's, not, it's nothing, no big deal. No, 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 you're not just a button pusher. You are an artist at work. No, you're not just sitting here this morning attending. No, you are an artist at work. You are helping us to create an atmosphere. You, you're creating an expectation that God can and will move in our lives. Let's resolve to be lifelong learners. Let's stay curious. And let's keep discovering that the new that God has for us personally and the new that he has for our church. And then lastly, and this is very important, artists retouch and recreate. You know, when a, when a song goes wrong or a, or a painting isn't working out or a, or, or a pot is wonky on the potter's wheel, the artist corrects and reshapes or, or in some instances even paints over the old artwork and creates something new. Pentimento is a term related to painting, and it refers to a visible trace of earlier painting beneath a layer or layers of paint on a canvas. And using x-ray and infrared light, many of the famous paintings, including Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa, show multiple corrections were made before the artwork was finalized. And when life doesn't work out the way that we had hoped, or there's Disappointment, or we, we try to do something and we fail, we try to start a business but it, but it folds, or, or we make some kind of mistake. We need to be able to overcome that and keep crafting. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you haven't made mistakes, you haven't made anything. Because in order to make something, in order to create something with your life, you're going to have to take risks, you're going to have to have a go. And you're going to need to approach the mistakes that you make as an opportunity to retouch and recreate rather than a reason to quit. In Jeremiah 18 and verse 3, Jeremiah sees this in action when he goes, uh, when when God tells him to go down to the potter's house and, and take a look. God says, I want you to go to the artist's studio and observe. Says in verse 3, so I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working with clay at the wheel. He was making a pot from clay, but there was something wrong with the pot. There was a mistake or a flaw or a disappointment or or a misstep. So the potter used the clay to make another pot. With his hands, he shaped the pot the way he wanted it to be. Perhaps there have been mistakes that you've made in your marriage or, or mistakes in the handling of your finances or, or mistakes in your business or your career or mistakes that you've made morally or, or spiritually. And you might have to live with the consequences of those mistakes, but you don't have to leave that artwork in a mess. Notice that the potter used the same clay to make a new pot. He didn't say, well, onto the pile with you. Listen, the answer isn't always a new job or a new church or a new spouse. You can retouch and recreate what's already there. Listen, that's what artists do, they work with what they have. In fact, John Lennon famously said, I'm an artist. If you give me a tuber, I'll bring you something out of it. You see, an artist approaches everything like art. They can't help it. It's it's who they are. It's like this: one person goes to the cupboard at home and they, they look inside or they look in the fridge and they go, There's nothing to eat. An artist comes along and looks around, and next thing they've whipped up something quite miraculous. You say, wow, my mom is an artist. She does that every night. But that's what artists do. They can whip something up out of seemingly little. Why? Because they use what's there. You know, when we started our Belito campus, we didn't have a full worship team and and I, I i was i was leading worship and i was i was playing various instruments at one point i was playing electric guitar and i had a kick drum at the front of the stage in fact i even had a snare and a cymbal at one point cuz we didn't have a drummer and i was having to in between the songs hit the snare da, 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 sh- on the cymbal, you know, thank you, Lord, and then quickly put the guitar on and click my pedals and, and carry on leading. You know, I, I did that not because I wanted to be a hero and, hey, look, I can play guitar and play kick drum. No, no, no. It was actually very taxing because in those services, I still had to do the encouragement or the offering and preach. But I did it because I saw that there was a need. We didn't have a keyboard player. We didn't have a drummer. We, we didn't have an electric guitar. I didn't say, oh, well. No, I used what I had and I turned it into something. And I want to ask you today, what can you identify in your life that if you used what's already there, if you approached it like an artist, retouching, reshaping, and and recreating, it could go from seemingly very little into a masterpiece in your life. You've been created to create, imagined to imagine. You're not just a work of art, you're an artist at work. As we come to a close, and the team joins me, I want to tell you about a painting. When the King of England, Charles I, was executed in 1649, a painting in his collection was sold to a man called John Stone to settle a debt of just 30 pounds. Later, the painting was attributed to a student of the great artist Leonardo da Vinci, and it was then bought for just 45 pounds. Well, it changed hands many times before it completely disappeared in the 1900s. But after it resurfaced in 2005, the painting was acquired at auction for less than 7,000 pounds by a consortium of art dealers who at the time described the painting as a dark and gloomy wreck. The consortium believed that, that this this low-quality mess, as they called it, was actually a long-missing da Vinci original, and so they spent the next few years having the painting meticulously restored. Well, it was later confirmed to be da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi, or savior of the world, and sold for a whopping $450 million in 2017, making it the most expensive painting ever sold. And you know, what's interesting about the Salvatore Mundi is that it also contains elements of pentimento, corrections that were made to the image of Christ to make him more realistic. Do you know the word pentimento is Italian? It literally means repentance. It means to go the other way. And it doesn't matter how dark, gloomy, or wrecked the artwork of your life is right now, it can be restored, it can be retouched, and even recreated by the master artist. Because the reality is that even though we are artists at work, we can lose our way. Especially if the master artist doesn't have his hand on our lives and, and isn't guiding our steps. And perhaps you're here today and you don't know the master artist, the Salvatore Mundi, the Savior of the world, Jesus, the one who takes away our sins. Or perhaps like da Vinci, there have been moments of repentance where you've tried to make the image of Christ more realistic in your life and you've tried to retouch and recreate. But over time, the canvas of your life has grown dark once more. You can respond and repent, pentimento, and allow the master artist to create you anew. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.